Don't give Bibles this morning to the book of James. James chapter 1. We'll get there in just a moment. James chapter 1. Several years ago, I preached a message entitled The New Definition of Freedom. And uh, I was talking about a situation in our country today where people have changed what freedom is, their, their, their idea of what freedom is. Their opinion is what determines what freedom is. In other words, they have become an authority unto themselves. And it's gotten worse over the years, not only better. Uh, we are in a situation where people think that their freedom is defined solely by what they want. That's it. If I desire it, that's what I ought to be able to do. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter uh, what the law says. None of that makes any difference. All that matters is what I want. And that's that's what determines their, their opinion of freedom. By the way, that's the way little kids are. You know, that's all they think about is what they want. And if they want it, then they feel like they ought to get it. Well, that's the way... Adults are acting in our society today. There, there are four, four tenets to that, to their idea of personal freedom. The first one is that it acknowledges no restraints. In other words, there is nothing that limits what they want to do. They can do whatever they choose to do. Um, there is no authority. So uh, parents with young people today don't, don't have any authority. Schools don't have any authority. The government doesn't have any authority. Uh, police, you know, police, police departments don't have any authority. And even, ultimately, God doesn't have any authority because they acknowledge no restraints. There is nothing to hold them back from doing what they choose to do. Second ten, they accept no responsibility. Personal freedom accepts, personal absolute freedom accepts no responsibility. So in other words, if anything bad happens as a result of them exercising their freedom, it's not their fault. You're not going to hold me accountable because all I was doing is what I think is right. And uh, you know, there's a there's another mindset. You know, we talk about truth, and the, the ultimate problem is there is no ultimate truth. Now, uh, they believe that truth resides within them. And so it's my truth, and my truth is different from your truth, but if it's all everybody else has a different opinion of truth, there's no truth at all. It's all just opinion. Anyway, they say I'm not responsible. Number three, it displays no respect. Uh, personal freedom, this definition of ultimate freedom, says I don't respect anybody, and, uh, and so they don't display respect, and then it tolerates no regrets. They do not, in their mind, ever feel sorry or feel a need to repent for what they've done because there is no authority. There is no one to judge them. They just do what they want to do. And they feel like that they have a right to do exactly that. Uh, you know, doing that kind of thing can get you in trouble. Uh, People who, who feel that there is no authority, who feel the time freedom is doing just whatever they want to do, when they do it, they are 
going to without maybe maybe it's not intentional, but they're going to step on other people's freedom. They're going to do their thing, and it's going to cause problems for other people. And there's going to create it's going to create uh, tension and difficulty, and um, and they're going to have problems down the road. Anyway, my message this morning: I want to preach on how to make wise choices in a world where people live without restraint. Because we live in that world today, and we're going to have to make the decision about how we're going to respond to what's going on. We've got to determine how we're going to react when someone does something that we don't agree with. Uh, my wife and I were traveling in a vehicle on the way to Perry, and you know where the Perry Parkway crosses House and Lake Road? There's a red light there, and when you cross that road, there's two lanes going south there. You cross that road, and then it narrows down into one lane. So you got two lanes narrowing into one lane. Now that's always been a, 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 uh, a situation that is ripe for problems. Because you've got two lanes of traffic. You've got people in this lane, people in this lane. I was sitting in this lane. I was in the lane that goes straight. You know, if you just keep going straight, you're going to go right into the lane that goes, you know, the one that they're referring to. People in the lane on the right have a responsibility to merge into the lane on the left. That's what the law says. Everybody agree with that? Yeah. I did. Okay. I'm asking that because I want to make sure that you know that I was right. <laughs> So he's driving, he's driving down. I'm in the right lane. These old folks are in the, the lane over here. I'm in the lane to go straight. We and 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 I'm not I'm not targeting on lifting over. If 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 every other person lets somebody in, then it keeps going smoothly. So I was the second person. There was somebody in front of me. I was the second person. There was a guy over here in the front, and then there was a guy next to me in the van. So we start going. And, uh, and the guy in front of me goes on, and the guy in, on the first lane over here, at the beginning, of, at, the, at the front of the line over here, he comes up, and so I back off and let him in. Well, then the guy that's second back here, in a van, decides, I'm going to get in there too in front of him. You already know the rest of the story. <laughs> I wasn't happy with that. I'm, I'm doing my part. I let that guy in. You're supposed to get in behind me. He speeds up. So I speed up. <laughs> I'm not going to give in. I mean, this guy, you know, I made a choice. I made a choice. And, and I was right. Because the law says he has a responsibility to merge. So I got, I got in front of him. And, uh, and he's Started, I mean, he went wild. He's raging. I looked in the rearview mirror, and this guy is from the waist up hanging out the side window of the bed. He's got his handle steering wheel. He's <laughs> and he is shouting at the top of his lungs. Our windows were rolled up, and I could still hear what he was saying. He had kids sitting in the back seat. And I'm very, very sorry that his kids heard what he said. I'm sorry that I heard what he said. It was not pleasant. 
He wasn't, he wasn't asking the Lord to bless me. I can promise you that. Now, I made a choice in that situation. And it became an issue of conflict because the mindset of that guy was, I have no, there's no restraint. I do what I want to do. It doesn't matter what the law says. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I'm going to do what I want to do. How do you make choices in a situation like that? We'll come back to that in a moment when we get to the end of the message. But we make choices, and those choices have consequences. I read about a man in Maine who died because he thought it was a good idea to set off fireworks from his head. Not smart. Another man in Texas died after jumping in a pond with an alligator who had just been taunted. There were too many Kenya who were trampled and buried by a wild elephant alongside which they were trying to take a picture. All of them were bad choices, which is not unusual. We all make bad choices. Eve saw the fruit, and she made a bad choice. Lot saw the plains of Sodom, and he made a bad choice. Achan saw the treasures of Jericho, and he made a bad choice. David saw the beauty of Bathsheba, and he made a bad choice. How do we make choices in a world where people are living without restraint? Choices are often impulsive. I mean, they do them at the last minute. They're often irrational. You don't think them through. They're often irresponsible. You don't think of the consequences. They're often indefensible. The choices we make sometimes, we can't defend them. Because we made them based on our own selfish desires, and then they are often irreversible. Impulsive, irrational, irresponsible, indefensible, and irreversible choices are never, ever intelligent. So look at James chapter one, if you would. What's the most what's the most important element that we need as believers? To help us make choices in a situation where things around us are in chaos. James chapter 1, the Bible says, beginning in verse number 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind, and tossed. And we'll come back to that statement. Uh, let him ask in faith, nothing waiting. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But now look down in verse number 13. It says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. In a time of temptation, that's the time when you have to make a choice, right? I mean, that's, that's a time when you've got to determine what you're going to do, what you're going to say, how you're going to act. It's an important time. It's a, it's a challenging time. Verse number 14 says, Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bring forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth dead, death. So making a wrong choice in the time of temptation yields bad consequences. Look down to verse number 19. Last week we talked about the connection between the heart and the mouth. Uh, let the meditation of my 
my, my, with the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my God, my Redeemer. And then uh, Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. Well, today, we're going to talk about the connection of our heart with what we do. Because what we say is one thing, what we do is something else. And uh, it needs to be right. Well, James, James addresses that to you. Look at verse 19. He says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, and slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Very good advice. Swift to hear, but slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And then he says, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Us getting mad because of what somebody's done is not going to make those who have done wrong do right. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. Verse number 21, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So the Bible says receive the truth of God's word. It's valuable in the sense that it will save your souls. But it's valuable also in the sense that it will give us wisdom. That's where we get our wisdom. It's from the word of God. And then he says this in verse 22. This ties it all together. Verse 22. Be ye doers of the word. And not hearers only. Be doers of the word. That's what you do. That's choices that you make. That's, that's coming to a conclusion about what you are supposed to do and then doing it. But the most important element is wisdom. The thing we need most in making decisions in our situation in this life when everything's in chaos, we need wisdom. Wisdom will help us to make sure that our choices are not impulsive, that they're not irrational, that they're not uh, uh, irreversible, that they're not, they're not going to cause us a bad outcome. And, uh, and it's very important that we embrace that wisdom. Now, where else does the scripture talk about wisdom? James says, if you like wisdom, ask of God, he'll give it to you. But ask in faith, Nothing wavering. And, uh, and then he says, be careful when you come to a time of temptation because that's the time of testing. You've got to make a choice. Make sure that you're using wisdom to make that choice. And remember that that wisdom comes from the Word of God. And the Word of God has an impact in our heart. And in, and, and in paying attention to that, we will know the right thing to do and then we'll be doers of the Word. That's, that's the progression. That's the way... James says it needs to work. Now, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul addresses this matter of wisdom as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to begin reading verse number 6. And Paul says this, How be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world. Notice that phrase, the wisdom of this world nor of the princes of this world. So not the wisdom of this world, not the wisdom of the princes of this world that come to know, verse number seven, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. So Paul says there are three types of wisdom. 
There's the wisdom of this world, there's the wisdom of the men of this world, the princes of this world, and then there's the wisdom of God. Again, verse 7, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Verse 8, which none of the princes of this world do, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now often you've heard preachers preach that that passage is talking about the things that we're going to get when we get to heaven. We can't, we can't imagine what heaven is going to be like. That is true. We can't imagine what heaven is going to be like. Our imagination is, is uh, finite. We're humans. We see through a glass darkly. We have no concept of what heaven is going to be like. But that's not what this verse is talking about. The Bible says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither entered in the heart of men, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man? Pay attention to that phrase, the Spirit of man, which is in him. Even so the things of God knoweth no man, and here's another phrase, but the Spirit of God. Verse number 12, now we have received not the Spirit of the world. There's a third thing. The Spirit of man, it talks about the Spirit of God, it talks about the Spirit of of the world. It says, we have not received, now, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So the things that God wants us to know, that is his wisdom, he wants us to have, and they're available to us. Look at verse number 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And then it says this, verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. All right, so we've got three types of wisdom. The wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the princes of the world, and the wisdom of God. And then we've got three types of influence that has an impact on how we think. The first is the spirit of man, which is in us. The second is the spirit of this world, which is around us. And the third is the spirit of God, which is going to give us information about the wisdom of God. Now, which of those three do we want? Do we want the wisdom of man that comes from the spirit of man, which lives within us? Do we want the wisdom of the, uh, the world, which the spirit of this world gives us? Or do we want the wisdom of God, which the spirit of God alone is capable of, of, of placing in our heart? So that we will know what he wants, so we can do what he wants us to do. Now the problem is, an unsaved man has no access to the wisdom of God. Because the natural man, the man is unsaved, he can't, he doesn't receive spiritual things. He, can, he, he can't know them, the Bible says, because they're spiritually discerned. 
That wisdom is only available to those of us who know the Lord. And it's important for us to understand the value of that and to embrace it and to seek it, to search it out, and then to allow the Spirit of God to have the influence that needs to be occurring in our lives because that's how we know how to make right choices. We yield to or embrace the spirit of man, we get in trouble. If we embrace the spirit of this world, which is all around us, then we get in trouble. But if we don't embrace the spirit of God who gives us God's wisdom, then we'll be in good shape. So, three keys. Let me give you three keys to gaining God's wisdom. The first one James mentioned earlier. Let him ask in faith. Faith is a requirement for gaining God's wisdom. Faith is a requirement for knowing the Lord. You believe, and in that belief, you trust the Lord, and the Spirit of God comes to live in your heart. The natural man has not believed, so he doesn't have access to it. But you and I, who know the Lord, we have access to the Spirit of God, to the wisdom of God, because of the Spirit of God. And we need to ask for wisdom, but we need to do so in faith. Now let me remind you that faith is not a tool that we use to get things from God. Faith is not a commodity that we have and that we take, you know, it's like currency and we, we peel off you know, 30 bills or so much faith and we use that and, and get something from God. That's not it. Faith is the filter through which we see the circumstances of life, whether they're bad. Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What we see and what we believe, we see through the eyes of faith. We believe there's a heaven not because we can see it now, but because we know by faith it's there. We see it. I, I, I think most of you believe there's a heaven and that's where we're going to be for eternity. But you believe it because you're looking at it through the eyes of faith. That is your sight. Well, if we'll apply that same truth to circumstances in this life, it'll help us have the wisdom we need to be able to make right choices. We see things through the eyes of faith. Joseph is a great example. Joseph, remember, he was his, his brother hated him. They, they cast him into a pit. They ended up being sold into Egyptian to a, to to, the, to the Israelite, uh, the Midianite merchantmen, or whatever they took him into Egypt. Sold him into Potiphar's household. Then Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. He he took a step, made a right choice and rejected her and ended up finding himself in prison and in prison he chose to look at what was going on in his life through the eyes of faith God had given him a promise and he embraced that promise and he looked at the circumstances through the eyes of faith when you look at the circumstances through the eyes of faith you're acknowledging four things number one is the presence of God in your life if you say I'm looking at this through faith then you're saying, God's, God's here. He's in control. You're acknowledging the presence of God in your life. Number two, you're acknowledging the promise of God. What promise did God make? He said, I'll, I'll supply all of your needs. And there's not a temptation that, you, that you're going to face that is not common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to, 
uh, uh, in the temptation, but he would make it a way of, of escape that you may be able to bear it. He would give you the strength to, 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 to bear up under the temptation. That's the promise that God made. And number number three, you, you are acknowledging the plan of God, that God has a perfect plan for your life. God will, God will direct our lives if we will walk by faith. Walking by faith means, again, that you're seeing things, seeing things through the filter of faith in this life, and you're taking steps sometimes when you don't know where your foot's going to land. That's called walking by faith. And we, we do that when we exercise our faith. And the fourth thing is we acknowledge God's power. We acknowledge His presence, His promise, His plan, and His power. When we look at circumstances through the eyes of faith. And doing so helps us to be able to see what God is doing in our life. So, so faith is, a, is an essential element. Number two is awareness. It's just being aware of all that is going on around you and the fact that God is helping you. I'm going to get through this. I can deal with this. And we'll come out on the other side. Our, you know, years ago, first ministry we were in, I've told you the story many of you have heard it already. Uh, we were we, we ended up in a, in a ministry where because of a series of things that had nothing to do with my my loyalty or my faithfulness or my humility or my that's not a good thing to say. Forget I said humility. Because that that that's that's indicating I thought I had some. I'm not that's not a good thing. Anyway, my my faithfulness, my loyalty, my morality. Now there were none of those things that, that had but we were we were left without without a place to go. A new son and no job and a thousand miles away from home. And we're still here today because God has taken care of us all these years. He's taken care of us through lots of challenges. Being aware of the fact that, that, that God's still in control. And the third thing is obedience. It's a willingness to do what God shows us is the right thing to do. Faith, awareness, and obedience. God is in control. He's willing to do what he promised he would do. And if I'm willing to obey, I'm willing to yield to his will and do what he tells us to do, tells, tells me to do, then the choice that I make is going to be a wise choice. And that's it. Let's go back to the illustration I gave at the beginning about the, the road. And I'm in this land and he's in that lane. And uh, we're in a hurry and, I, and I'm thinking, uh, the law says that he has a responsibility to merge with me. I do not have a responsibility to yield to him. All right, how many of you think that the decision I made was a wise one? Anybody? <laughs> I told you I was right. <laughs> but you understand that being right doesn't always mean that the decision you make is right. We got a little further down the road and this guy's hanging out the window and he's waving his fist and he's yelling at the top of his lungs. And I have to tell you, I began to feel a little uncomfortable. Because he's he's I mean he's not getting back in the window and he's not calming down. And I begin to think, I wonder if that guy's got a gun. 
I wonder how mad he really is. I mean, it's, it's obvious he's enraged. I wonder what, you know. And I ended up turning before the place where I needed to turn so that he would not follow me to the place where I was going to be and, and prepare if necessary to drive to the police department. You know, it was that kind of a situation. Now, nobody, nobody thought I made a bad decision. That, that, that's devastating to me. I thought I No, afterwards, I realized that the decision I made was not good. Our son is here Saturday. We were going down that same road. I explained the situation to him. And he said, Dad, I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly what's going on in your, in your, in your mind. You know, I, know, I know what's going on. But he said, you know what, the way things are today, sometimes it's just better to back off and let them go. Yeah. Don't you hate it when your son gives <laughs> <laughs> you instruction? The truth is, I've, I've learned a lot from my three sons. And I'm very grateful for them. But in this instance, he was wrong. I made a wrong choice. You know why I made a wrong choice? Not because I was seeking God's wisdom or trying to determine what God wanted me to do. It was because I was, I was filled with the spirit of man. That was what was influencing me. I was, my, my pride said, who do you think you are? I mean, just get it, get in your place, do what you're supposed to do. But it did not yield a good result. That was a poor choice on my part. But I was right. I was right. According to the law, I was right. But it's still, the choice did not demonstrate the wisdom of God in my life. James says the key to making right choices is to have God's wisdom. God's wisdom will give us the strength to overcome the temptation or help us to make the right choice and do what we know is true as, as we learn from the Word of God. It'll help us to be in a situation where we have a good testimony instead of a bad testimony. It'll help us to honor the Lord. And it may end up being a situation where we have an opportunity to reach somebody with the gospel. Because you decided to, by faith, embrace the wisdom of God rather than the wisdom of man or the wisdom of this world. It's not easy because there are so many people in our society today who have the, the spirit that I was talking about at the beginning. They, they don't see any restraint. They're, in their mindset, they're an authority in themselves. They can do whatever they choose to do. How do we make choices in that situation? We ask God for wisdom. We make sure that we're aware of the fact that He's in control of our lives and then we obey the direction he gives us. And that will always lead to a right choice, a choice that honors him, and a choice that's going to be, have, a, have a good conclusion. That's what we want, right? We want things to turn out well. We want the Lord to be honored. We want to be able to, to, to be a, a testimony to those who are lost. Well, that comes from making right choices, and right choices come from gaining God's wisdom. Let's stand here and find